the key concept, of course, is parity of esteem. Uh, and I think it's really important that we have a very clear definition of that because people love saying, oh, we don't know what that means. Uh, I think the definition is very clear. It is that if you're mentally ill, you have the same access to nice recommended treatments uh, as you would if you were physically ill. That's a very precise definition that you should, I would have thought, be able to use with commissioners uh, and whoever else. And, of course, the, the obvious uh, feature of nice recommended treatments, which is not being carried out, is that there should be psychological therapy offered to everybody uh, with mental illness. And at present, we are miles from there. And therefore, uh, a major part of the transformation of mental health in the coming parliament has to be a much wider access to psychological therapy. So I'm just going to focus on that and on the future of IAPT and uh, tell you what I I and some others have been trying to persuade the political parties uh, to include in their manifestos about psychological therapy. So there are four issues. One is access, uh, one is quality, uh, one is outcomes and measurement, and the last is finance and commissioning. So, so starting with access, the access target has been crucial. Without the 50, uh, 15% of need target uh, that we've had for adult IAPT, it would have basically wilted. Uh, and uh, it's quite amazing to see how this target, which we managed to get into the mandate, NHS mandate, um, has caused such alarm and despondency right up to the office of the... the, the I say the office, I mean the desk of the Prime Minister. I mean, he worries about it. Can you imagine? It's extraordinary, really. This 15% has been uh, one of the most weird levers that I've ever heard of in the political process. Uh, And a huge amount of activity in Whitehall to try and uh, achieve this target. So what have we got? We've got 6 million people, uh, adults with depression and anxiety, in the country. And the target uh, has been that 15% of them uh, should be seen uh, by IAPT with a view to psychological therapy, which, of course, is incredibly low proportion. We picked it because it was the most we thought was feasible in terms of training and quality, Uh, but it's incredibly low. It actually doesn't mean 15%, because only, in fact, 9% within the 15% are actually given a course of treatment, meaning they're seen... Uh, at least two times. And, of course, we're not touching uh, the huge problem of comorbid physical and mental illness. So it's really important that we have an ambitious target for 2020. And the target we've been suggesting uh, is 20, that 25% uh, should be seen, so it's up from 15 to 25%, which is basically continuing the expansion uh, at the rate at which we've had it so far which uh, uh, seems to be eminently possible. We've got this figure, I think, into the Labour Party report that came out yesterday. Um, I think that there's good support in the Liberal Democrats, as we saw uh, yesterday morning, and let's hope the uh, Conservatives will also support it. But I have also contacted UKIP (laughs) and the Greens. (laughs) Okay, so that's adults. Now, children... The position with children, of course, has been even more desperate. And the extraordinary thing is that there has been no target for access for children. And if you want to understand why it was so easy for the cams to be cut, it's a very simple reason that there was no target 
for children and there was no leverage or pressure that could be applied uh, to commissioners to d- deliver or to respond to what was happening with the local authority finances. Uh, so the target we're suggesting for children is 33%, um, which in, in the light of the, the figures we have uh, also seems feasible. It involves something like a 25% uh, expansion um, and we think that this should be uh, almost totally school-based so that uh, CAMS is much more uh, an outreach service, seeing people early rather than waiting for them to reach that horrific threshold where they have to go to some clinic. <coughs> so this will need a, a training programme for adults uh, and uh, child uh, psychological therapists um, of the scale we've had uh, we were meant to have been having for adults of something like a 1,000 therapists a year and for children something like 500 therapists a year. Uh, Let's come on to quality because people sometimes worry about these access targets because they are leading to a reduction of of dosage Uh, and that certainly has happened and that has to be monitored extremely closely. Um, We're not just saying people should be offered nice recommended treatments but they should be recommended the dosage in terms of numbers of sessions uh, that a person is seen. Um, so that's one thing. The other, of course, is to get the wider range of therapies which are recommended by NICE. Uh, so basically what we have at the moment within uh, IAPT is either CBT or counselling, um, and we have to get the other therapies, which are interpersonal therapy, uh, brief psychodynamic, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and couples therapy. Couples therapy, I think, is very important and I think whatever government comes in is going to want to deal with the uh, crisis of conflict in the family and domestic violence uh, through much wider rollout of of couples therapy. But then there's also the problem of the comorbid uh, people with physical illness. We need therapists who understand particular conditions, uh, breathlessness, Uh, heart problems and so on Um, and that is going to be another crucial phase in the development uh, of trained therapists, people who can work with people who have comorbid problems and then there's a question of where they should work. Uh, This has to be worked out but uh, I think that our general view is that these therapists ought to be out there with the acute specialists or with the GPs they shouldn't be some, seeing someone one in a separate place, not working with the team who are treating the physical uh, problem. But we think that it is best if it is organised with them within an IAP team where there's a professional standard and supervision uh, as well. <coughs> um, quality uh, is also, of course, crucial for children. And the IAP programme for children and young people is currently transforming CAMS away from a not very evidence-based service to providing nice recommended therapies. <coughs> it only covers, I think, uh, two-thirds of the country. That has to expand uh, that transformation process. Uh, third, outcomes and outcome monitoring. This has been crucial um, for the effectiveness of IAPT um, in that the therapists uh, have a much clearer idea of how they're Uh, patients are getting on. Uh, So we have session-by-session monitoring, uh, but it's also, of course, been crucial for the politics of it um, because it it persuades 
politicians and commissioners that it's not money down a black hole when they're uh, financing therapy. And we have achieved extraordinary uh, rates of completeness in outcome monitoring. 95% of all the patients uh, we have uh, outcome monitored <coughs> for uh, essentially every session uh, of adults. Um, and this is partly the reason why uh, Nature, the journal Nature, has called IAP well beating, and I think it probably is uh, the best uh, effort to deliver evidence-based psychological therapy um, that there is anywhere in the world at the moment. And we've got 10 countries now considering introducing their own version of, of the IAPT um, ar arrangements. Um, for children, uh, we only have limited outcome monitoring at the moment, uh, and that has got to become complete. And, of course, for uh, psychotic uh, problems, we have no outcome monitoring. Uh, and this is a real problem. Um, it, it leads to a much less focused approach to treatment because uh, the thing which I learned from David Clark, and this doesn't apply to psychosis, but the thing which I learned from David Clark, which I, I thought was so striking, was the idea that we're not talking about condition management when we're talking about depression and anxiety disorders. We are talking about recovery. Uh, and in particular for anxiety disorders where you you can get complete recovery from uh, all the anxiety uh, disorders and, of course, much reduced rates of relapse for depression. So uh, we're talking uh, very much about uh, outcome monitoring as an instrument for not just proving something to politicians uh, but for introducing a more purposive approach to the handling of people's problems, including psychotic uh, patients. Um, <clears throat> when we're talking about uh, staff in CMHTs and on the wards, of course, we're not talking about, as we were with IAPT, trying to build a new service. We're talking about uh, the service which we have, but transforming it by turning more of those people into uh, people who can deliver psychological therapy with an outcome focus. <coughs> Finally... How can we make it all happen? <laughs> so we, hopefully we'll persuade the politicians uh, to step up to the mark. Um, and um, that, that does lead to some pressure on commissioners. As <laughs> and, uh, and Barbara Hakem gets out and about. Um, but in the end, this very much depends on whether the commissioners themselves uh, are persuaded that this is something they have to do. Um, so how can we incentivize them? Well, we, we now have uh, a really good uh, uh, database where we can see how they're delivering on all the things I've been talking about um, on the Mental Health Intelligence Network website. And, that, and it's very easy to get them into the table if you want to, uh, as, <laughs> as we're applying pressure. So that's what, of course, uh, NHS England are using when they go harassing. But it's also what all of us can do when we go harassing. Uh, and uh, I think Jenny here uh, is uh, going to be uh, making uh, uh, it much easier for ordinary citizen groups to harass their local CCGs uh, by looking at this database uh, and saying, now, why aren't you stepping up to the plate? That's incredibly, I think that's incredibly important. Um, but... How else can we persuade commissioners? 
Well, I think the other argument uh, is the one that Claire mentioned, uh, that it won't actually cost them anything <laughs> to provide more access to psychological therapy um, because there are such savings to be had. So let me just end with a few really interesting facts. Uh, more than half of people, the six million that I mentioned, uh, have a comorbid physical condition. Um, and as uh, Chris Naylor here uh, has shown with Mike Parsonage, a really, really important work, um, if a person has a given physical condition of given severity, but they also have comorbid mental illness, their physical health care will cost the NHS uh, £2,000 a year more. £2,000 a year more. It's a hell of a lot of money going on physical health care because the person has a mental health problem. Um, that doesn't prove that if we gave them treatment uh, we could uh, save all of that. But here's another extraordinary fact. There have been 91 trials uh, in the United States where people have, with a, in a proper controlled experiment, given uh, uh, one group of people um, psychological therapy and another matched group not. Um, and they have found that the physical health care usage of the people who got the psychological therapy uh, was 20% lower than of those who didn't. Which, which is a saving of, in, in British terms of £1,200. Uh, I only know of one British study, which is a very enterprising GP in Berkshire called Eric Hassey, who analysed uh, patients who were referred to IAPT and another with the same mental health problems who were not referred to IAPT uh, for various reasons. And he's compared the physical health care costs of the two groups in the subsequent uh, uh, year or two. And he again found uh, a saving of something like £1,000 from the people who uh, were given uh, the IAP treatment. Now, the IAP treatment itself cost 650 So you can see it is paying for itself. And again, in these American studies, in the smaller subset of them, they could compare the cost of the therapy with the savings. And they found that in all but two of the cases, the therapy paid for itself in savings on physical health care. It's an incredibly powerful argument to use with commissioners. So uh, that's uh, the sort of case we we should make. Now, in, in, uh, uh, out there was put um, the piece of paper that we are circulating uh, to the political parties. So uh, I would greatly appreciate any help <laughs> that we can have in these efforts uh, from uh, any of you. Um, I think it's, this is a really important cause uh, and I think we can really relieve an um, incredible mass of suffering. I'll say one thing more. Um, I mean, my motivation for this is suffering, of course, and not the economics at all. And in the work that I've done, um, where you have measures of people's life satisfaction and then you try to explain it by various aspects of their lives, mental illness comes out as the biggest single cause of misery uh, in advanced countries. I've done it in four countries. Physical illness comes next. And the things that politicians worry about, like poverty and unemployment, and I spent most of my life working on, 
are much less important causes of misery than mental illness. We absolutely have to get that across to the politicians in our country. Thanks a lot. <laughs>